your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. That was funny. Uh, talking with Dr. Anthony Tregoski today, and we were doing a little show prep, Tregoski, and then uh, the show is on. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, welcome to to a Friday. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. And uh, if you want to send questions to Dr. Anthony Tregoski, he's the political scientist at UW-Lacrosse. Uh, how's your Friday going? Any big news dump stories yet, Tregoski? We got some news dumps, Rick. The uh, secretary involved with um, involved with handling the unemployment claims in Wisconsin, Caleb Frostman, he is out. And uh, just so happened to be announced late afternoon on a Friday. But there are a whole lot of people in Wisconsin who are waiting to hear back about their unemployment benefits, if they're going to get them. And 3,000 people have been waiting since March or April. So this has been a huge problem, and it's become a popular talking point for the Republicans against Tony Evers. And so finally, we see someone basically taking the fall for this. And so Frostman is out of the Evers administration. I've said this multiple times, and uh, it's and the, the AP story says, according to the department, 713,508 weekly claims from nearly uh, a million Wisconsin residents were in, the proce- were in process as of Saturday. So I don't know what that means. I mean, is that new? Is that old? It doesn't really say. Um, but, yeah, 713,000. Um I've said this before. If we wanna, if we wanna get these people employed, have them come work for the unemployment office in the state of Wisconsin, and we wouldn't have any of these problems. That's a brilliant solution, Rick. I mean, we gotta be innovative at this time. And you know, they have said that they've bought on extra staff to deal with the influx of unemployment claims. But the reality is, Rick, that the system was simply not designed for the huge economic crash that we experienced during the height. Well, I guess we just broke a record today, so maybe now is the height of the pandemic. But, you know, back during the safer at home part of the pandemic, uh, it was just more than the system could cope with. And we've known for a while, by the way, that the unemployment system in Wisconsin has problems in terms of its ability to handle uh, influxes of claims, in terms of its ability to field calls from people, just in terms of it being a dated system that is not particularly efficient. So we've known that the Wisconsin unemployment system has problems, and then you combine that with the economic crash that we had last spring, and it was just a huge catastrophe. Yeah, we're speaking with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski here. If you got a question, 608-785-7914. I'm just I I remember seeing the story, so I just I grabbed the first headline. Wisconsin uses 50-year-old computer system to process unemployment claims. Eleven other states use this system called the COBOL, C-O-B-O-L system, I guess. Uh, yeah, who? So when we when we hear that fifty year old computer, I'm thinking like Atari. Are they using Ataris <laughs> or something? And, Are they playing like Pong during yeah. their breaks? 
Yeah, they're playing. They're just using uh, using the pong screen to like decide which person, boom, beep, boom, beep, which person gets. You get it. You get a claim. Oh, you missed the pong ball. You do not get your unemployment check this week. Um, but a fifty year old computer system. So, but when I hear that, I'm like, okay, who can we blame? It was the 1970s. Uh, who was the Dem- Democrats or Republicans in charge then? That's you know, like uh, at what year? A decade? Do we need a new system a decade later? So, who was in charge in the 80s? Two decades. Let's go 25 years. So, you know, mid 90s. Uh, you know, like I just we got to blame a side, right? So, but right now we're going to blame Evers because he's in charge. Or do we blame the Republican legislature for not enacting any kind of legislation to update the system? Well, I think you've just uh, summarized the talking points that are flying back and forth right now. The Democrats in the legislature saying, hey, the Republican-controlled legislature, why isn't it doing anything about this? Republican-controlled legislature saying, hey, this is on Tony Evers, this is on Caleb Brosman. But to your point, Rick, about the very outdated systems that we have for processing and handling unemployment benefits, I would note that Wisconsin is hardly unique in that respect. Now, the situation might be uniquely bad in Wisconsin. We might have a uniquely large backlog of claims, but state governments all around the country are dealing with these slow and inefficient and out-of-date systems for handling claims. And that was a big reason why Congress, when they were at least considering extending the added unemployment benefits, They were trying to figure out, well, how do you add to people's checks? You know, should you add a certain amount that's related to how much they were making before? Do you try to add a specific amount for every person? This is when they were debating the extension of the unemployment benefits in Congress. And what they concluded was that the states just couldn't handle anything much more complicated than just giving people 600 bucks each when they get their unemployment uh, check. Yeah, and, and while other countries are giving, you know, 85% of salaries since the pandemic began and it's never stopped and other countries are doing $2,000 checks, we got a $1,200 check that one time. I don't know if you remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah. D- yeah, well, you know, Rick, there, there, there are... There continue to be talks about a new stimulus. I think that the two sides are pretty far apart. So it seems like we might just have to be happy with our 1200 Yeah, we'll have to wait till at least November 4th, right, before something gets done? Yeah, yeah. the election is always a good motivator, you know, and if there's new people in government, you know, they could come in in January potentially and enact something new. But right now, it just seems like there is a fair bit of distance between the two sides. The Republicans in the Senate tried to pass something that was a $300 billion package, but that is far from where Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats are, and it's even far from where President Trump is. The other day, President Trump was floating something, at least Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, was was floating something in the area of about $1.5 trillion. So it seems like no one is on the same page here in terms of a relief package. And so I think the safest bet at this point is that we're not going to get anything before Election Day. $1.5 trillion divided by $330 million is... Four thousand five hundred dollars, about 
So if we just gave a $1.5 trillion check to every citizen, we'd all get $4,500. I'd be good with that. I don't need well, the yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt Donald Trump's reelection campaign, right. probably. I mean, are we looking at maybe him doing that by be, uh, if the election is November 3rd? So what do we need? Probably a month to get that going. So uh, <laughs> two weeks from now, Trump's going to propose something like that. I mean, could, is that off the wall? Is something so ridiculous going to come? I'm waiting for his health care plan to drop. It's been three years. When is the health care? He keeps talking about it. They got it uh, in secret in a secret room somewhere that only Trump knows about. And all eyes right now on the vaccine announcement, where Trump was talking up vaccine availability by the end of this year. But that is not what people like Dr. Fauci are saying. So in addition to any watching on the stimulus front, any monitoring of that situation, I think that people are going to be paying close attention to the rhetoric and the comments surrounding the vaccine that come out of the White House prior to a certain day in early November. Yeah, and on, on top of that, if you haven't, well, Brad's going to say it in the, do, in the news. I'll, I'll let him do it. But uh, we were talking about outdated, uh, before we get to the break, we were talking about outdated unemployment computers in Wisconsin. This story is old. It's from 2016. I don't. They could have updated it. Now I'm just doing headline, headline hunting here. Uh, U.S. nuclear arsenal controlled by 1970s computers with 8-inch floppy disks. They might have updated those in the past, uh, a couple of years, I'm not sure, but I, I just remember seeing that story not even that long ago. So um, government not doing a great deal of uh, updating on their computers, apparently. Now, maybe they can upgrade to CD-ROMs, though. Yeah, definitely. Or those, uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to remember the other weird discs that we used to use in the college. In college. <laughs> All right, Dr. Anthony Chagoski is going to join us this hour. We got to hit Brad doing the news here in a minute. We'll be back after this on Wisdom. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Anthony Tregoski joining me this hour. Appreciate you coming on again. Friday is just kind of like a, a free-for-all. Like we're, let's, let's see what we talk about with uh, the UW Lacrosse political science professor. Um, Tregoski, I got two texts here. Uh, one, we were talking about the, the Wisconsin outdated um, unemployment uh, computer system. And maybe they use Atari. Uh, Joe texts in and he goes, uh, they probably use ColecoVision. And he's, he sent me a link to like Donkey Kong in 1981. So. <laughs> That's how they're deciding unemployment claims. And then Steve texted in, um, maybe Evers and other Dem-run states need to open up the states and get people back to work safely. Quit playing politics. Uh, I think we did that in mid mid May or mid March, one of those two months. We uh, the Supreme Court ruled we do we did open up the state. So when uh, so Steve, when you're complaining about uh, Evers needing to open up the state, the state's been open for months. Um, if the problem now is the, the the state is open. I think the problem now is there's some bars downtown that are open. Um, and then he uh, he also this must have been when we were talking healthcare. Uh, he dropped the mandate for the cost if they elected to not do Obamacare. So, um, yeah, that was the one thing Donald Trump did. He dropped the the mandate for, you know, you would be essentially penalized if you didn't have health insurance. So, um, but he's apparently has a, a great plan that's going to cover us all and very cheaply. I, I remember him saying that when he was running in 2016. I'm still waiting for that because uh, healthcare is eating about a third of my salary. And I This has been the struggle for Republicans for a really long time, Rick, by the way, that uh, the repeal of Obamacare, voting on that and uniting around that, 
That was the easy stuff for the Republicans. They had tremendous success campaigning against Obamacare and using that to motivate their base. But when it comes to actually designing a replacement plan and figuring that out and getting that through Congress, that's where they really just have not been successful. So, But like you said, the major change during the Trump administration was getting rid of the individual mandate. Other than that, though, Obamacare is largely in place. Yeah, and then, you know, for those of people that don't want to have insurance and run without, uh, you know, and run the risk of, of, you know, whatever, breaking your arm and having to pay for it all, uh, you know, great. There's no mandate, but everything else, uh, yeah, and I, I would say Obamacare is, is helpful in the terms of it's it's get, gets uh, everyone covered. It gets uh, one of my pre-existing conditions. Those people, I think, I, I don't know if I have any pre-existing conditions, but I don't have to worry about that right now. So um, the, the idea of covering that. And, you know, if Trump dropped, uh, you know, we're going to give everyone $4,500 with a $1.5 trillion stimulus package, and we're just going to go universal health care. Uh, starting in, you know, the end of October, I, I think he would win re-election, no doubt. <laughs> then the, the, the Bernie crew would vote for him in that case. <laughs> I mean, if you just want to get all the votes, just like, there you go. Have those plans out there. I don't know. Just um, yeah. it, it, OK, so a couple of things that we I have on my list of, of, of talking points. And you want to talk about that Howie Hawkins, the Green Party candidate and, and getting on and off the ballot in Wisconsin. I want to talk about that. But first. Um, you you sent me a text that said the, uh, you you read analysis today that the Path Kapenke race for the 32nd district in the Wisconsin State Senate is, and you all caps me the just all caps the <laughs> the single most important state Senate election of the year. What analysis uh, were you reading there? Yeah, this is from a Wisconsin journalist named Dan Schaefer, and he was going through the different state Senate races all over the state and seeing which ones are going to be truly pivotal this November. Now, when we talk about pivotal, we mean pivotal in deciding if the Republicans get that two-thirds majority, that two-thirds veto override majority, where they can override Evers' vetoes. And this could be the pivotal race in determining if the Republicans get to that two-thirds majority. So, hey, that's why you're hearing the ads on the radio. That's why you're seeing the yard signs around. That's why you're seeing the ads on TV. This is going to be a really expensive race and a really intense one because the stakes are so high for this particular state Senate race. And I saw either yesterday or the day before Robin Voss said, eh, we're not going to get that supermajority. Is he just trying to, like, motivate people? Well, it's always good to lower expectations, right? Because <laughs> then he, if they fail to get a two-thirds majority, then they can't say, well, Robin Voss said he was going to get a two-thirds majority, so Robin Voss fell short of his own goals. He he failed. So I think he's kind of lowering expectations. And speaking of local races, though, Rick, uh, Steve Doyle's seat in the Assembly is another one on the list in terms of key races, because that is on the path to a two-thirds majority for the Republican Party in the state assembly. Okay, but so, we don't, we don't uh, have to worry about... races here that are big time. We don't have to worry about Steve Doyle, though, because he's gerrymandered to the left, so we don't have to worry about that one. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, and and I think I, I think the past Kapanke race is viewed as just highly competitive and highly uh, expensive, ultimately. 
Um, so in my district, uh, for Congress anyway, Jim Hagedorn is is my congressman in the U.S. House. And uh, I've seen some ads. I don't get to see. You were talking about the Kopanky ads over the break. I don't get to see the Kopanky ads. But so Jim Hagedorn's got like a 15-second ad that comes on during NBA games. And it's just, it's like the NFL guy, Jim Hagedorn. He's working for you. He's going for big, uh, small business and working farmers. And it's like, and that's it. And it doesn't, it's his, and I thought, I thought this weird too. Um, Hagedorn's signs are on blue. Kopenki's signs are on blue. Isn't blue like Democrats? Is that like a scheme they're trying to do? And then Hagedorn, he doesn't, uh, if you read his social media, all he does is talk about how great Donald Trump is and how bad uh, the, the socialist Nancy Pelosi is. And, and and then he doesn't mention that he's a Republican or a Trump-supporting Republican in any of his ads uh, that I see anyway. Um, is that strategy? Do Does everybody do that? Well, Rick, that's absolutely strategic. And that's a great example of a candidate targeting different audiences with different messages. Because who is likely to be on Jim Hagedorn's social media? Well, from his perspective, it's likely to be his hardcore supporters, his most loyal supporters, the base of the Republican Party. And, and so his he's top. giving them reason to get motivated on that. <laughs> and his top hater, uh, Rick Solo. And the haters, but also the strong support. The both both ends of the spectrum, both extremes, Rick. Yeah. But then a more general audience on TV. You know, people who are more middle of the road, a more uh, just a broader audience of voters, and you don't really need to throw the red meat to them. You give them a more generally middle of the road appealing message that isn't going to necessarily turn anyone off. I, I always laugh too, and even I understand where he's going, and especially for NBA games. And yeah, he's working for small business. He's working for farmers. I'm waiting for somebody to drop an ad that goes, you know, uh, Brad Path. He's working for all you people making twelve bucks an hour in retail. Like, where is that guy? Is that is there? Do you ever see those ads? Because that's like a majority of the workers. We're all we're all working retail, and we're all like you know working in restaurants as waiters, waitresses, uh, cooks, stuff like that. These these twelve dollar an hour jobs. People just really have a group-based uh, view of politics. So, like, which groups are you fighting for? Which groups are you supporting? Which groups do you oppose? A lot of times elections really hinge on that. So when you talk about small business owners, a super well-liked and popular group. Same for farmers. So it's no shock that these really, like, sympathetic groups and well-liked groups are major themes of ad campaigns. Yeah, I just I I feel like if you were fighting for the retail worker at Target, you would you would probably get some people's votes. But you got to be specific too. None of these politicians are ever very specific about what exactly they're going to do. They're well, especially working. not on those like major ads that go on national TV. I mean, the more specific you are, the more likely it is that you'll offend someone or that someone will hear something that they don't like. So just be as general as possible. Say, I'm standing up for small businesses. I'm standing up for farmers. It sounds great. No one knows what that really means, but it makes you sound good at least. Yeah, it's just a lot of standing. All right, we're talking with uh, Dr. Anthony Shugoski. He's a UW lacrosse political science professor. we got to break again brad doing the news scott's comment coming up next we'll be back right here in wisdom all right welcome back to lacrosse talk pm if you want to get in here shoot me a text 608-785-7914 dr anthony chagoski is uw lacrosse political science professor he's joining us this hour chagoski how how is it easier to virtual teach or easier to teach in person 
You know, Rick, it's been a little hit and miss. I had my first classes on Zoom this week, and what I found is that you have to, like, work really hard, put just a lot of energy into it to keep the students engaged. But I did have some of the best discussions I've had in in my teaching career. So I think the students are a bit rattled but are kind of getting used to this thing, and (laughs) I would count me included in that whole getting used to this thing. Do you you think, and you've only been doing it a couple days, but do you think because they're not in a class where you can't so people with like a, a little bit of a social anxiety, if they're in a class with, you know, even with 15 or 100 people to, to, to raise your hand or I don't remember, you know, however you're going to do it in college, you just yell out. Um, but to have part to be part of the discussion, they don't want to look stupid. Everyone can point to that person. You know exactly who's talking and whether or not they're being stupid with a question or, or a comment. But in a Zoom kind of classroom, if they want a question or comment, right, you they un, you unmute them and they can talk. Uh, they, they can't be single singled out as easily. I think that's right, Rick. I had a class on Thursday where every single student participated in the discussion at some point, which is like super rare in any class period. So I think there might be something to that where students are just more comfortable participating. I mean, maybe it's just a little less, uh, little less concern about what others will think about them or how they'll react. Yeah, I I, uh, I I would definitely feel that way. I think if I was if I was in a classroom versus a Zoom type classroom, uh, but then you get to the lower grades, and you know it's probably more important to, for them to be in class just to interact. But um, all right, that was a sidebar. I just well, I was curious how that was going. Um, what do you want to talk about next? You you we brought up the Supreme Court thing last week a little bit. Howie Hawkins, Green Party candidate, trying to get on the ballot and during the week. You know when that story dropped this week that he wasn't getting on the ballot. I was like, what are what are these people doing? They're trying to run for president. How are you not hitting the deadlines? Kanye West's people getting getting to the office to submit, you know, signatures a minute or less than a minute late. Like, um, I so I have to pay my propane bill, and if I pay it uh, ahead of time, I save a, a couple of cents, you know, per gallon. So what did I do? I paid it early. I literally went today and paid it. It's a week early because I don't want to pay extra for my propane over the winter. Um, Kanye West, Howie, Howie Hawkins, uh, you're running for president, man. Get your papers in on time. Yeah, Rick, that is the big news of the week in terms of Wisconsin elections. A 4-3 to three ruling by the Wisconsin State Supreme Court saying that Howie Hawkins, the Green Party candidate for president, will not be on the ballot. And it was a surprise because you had one of the conservative justices, Brian Hagedorn, the only guy join with the liberals. The only man on the Supreme Court, too. Yeah, you know, to see him join with the liberals, that made the difference in terms of the margin here. And, you know, when I went through the ruling, it seemed like the four justices who ruled against Hawkins saying he can't be on the ballot, it looks like a lot of their ruling was just based on practical considerations. And they basically said, well, you know, maybe Hawkins is right and maybe Hawkins is wrong. I mean, we can think about the merits of Hawkins' case here, but we also have to just think about the practical implications of having this case move forward and then having him on the ballot, because what could we do by putting him on the ballot? We would be completely disrupting and upsetting the election. 
So I think kind of those practical concerns about having to reprint all of the ballots, what do you do with the ballots that are already printed, what do you do with the ballots that are already mailed out, a huge potential mess on the hands of Wisconsin election officials had the ruling been that Hawkins needs to be on the ballot. So I think those practical concerns really weighed heavily in this ruling. So I have two questions. One's more general about Wisconsin's elections and one is is more about (laughs) Howie Hawkins situation and even Kanye West. But so the general one about Wisconsin elections, we have what's called the Wisconsin Election Commission. I don't know how savvy you are with what that is but there's three republicans and there's three democrats and they're always just going to get locked three to three which is what happened here um why do we have a three to three <laughs> wisconsin election commission where it's all it's all partisan Did they, that replaced something we had before right <laughs> i think it, i think it was just a cruel joke rick to make it a three to three commission in like one of the most partisan and polarized eras ever in American history and in one of the most partisan and polarized states within that country, being Wisconsin. So I just think that was a cruel joke on someone's part to design it that way. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. OK, and then with Howie Hawkins, he's you know, he was trying to get out of the ballot and then and I, it's over. Right. Like we're done. We're done talking about Howie Hawkins in, in Wisconsin because. I know the story came out uh, right around the time the Supreme Court made the decision that Hawkins lawyers were like Republican Republicans in Wisconsin's lawyers or something like that. What, What can you explain that? Yeah, there was some talk about Republican-aligned lawyers helping Howie Hawkins, and that makes a lot of sense just from a practical standpoint, because if Hawkins were on the ballot, he would be much more likely to take votes away from Joe Biden than he would take votes away from Donald Trump. So it makes sense that the Republicans would see some upside in having Howie Hawkins on the ballot. But Rick, at this point, it is settled. Howie Hawkins will not be on the ballot. And another key ruling just came down in another state. Pennsylvania's Supreme Court also said that Howie Hawkins will not be on the ballot. And that's another state where the Green Party votes in 2016 could have made the difference in the outcome of the election, another Trump won state that was extremely close. And so I think that this is very important election news this week, because the more that this becomes a head-to-head contest without third-party candidates involved, well, I think that that has important implications for the outcome of the election. And we just need to look at 2016 to see why. Okay, so what what is Howie Hawkins' deal? Is it the same as Kanye West? He didn't get his papers in in time in Wisconsin because, like, I mean, I don't want this guy being president if he can't even like register in all fifty states. Yeah, you know, and, and in uh, in Pennsylvania, it was the fact that he didn't put them, he didn't submit them in person while he needed to. So, kind of on these weird technicalities, candidates are getting in trouble having to submit your ballot access forms in person, or as Kanye West's case was, submitting it prior to 5 o'clock on the dot. But this really does, I think, foreshadow the fate of Kanye West in Wisconsin. If Howie Hawkins failed to make the ballot, Kanye West will not be on the ballot in Wisconsin. Yeah, and they they already sent out ballots, right? Like this is a the, the Thursday yeah. we had the Parks and Rec uh, absentee ballot thing online, and on Sunday we had uh, the 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 Princess Bride, you know, Wisconsin Dems and the Princess Bride script reading. We're doing all these things. That was another thing I did want to talk about. But 
But the idea that like we're doing all these things to 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 let people know, so Kanye can't get on the ballot anymore. They're sent out. It's going to be chaos again. Yeah, I think the ball- I think we're pretty much locked in at this point, Rick, to the ballot that we have. A lot of clerks were talking about how they are getting ballots out the door following that Supreme Court ruling. And in fact, there were hundreds of thousands of ballots that were ready to go at the time that the Supreme Court pushed the pause button on the whole process and wanted to consider Hawkins' case. So lots of ballots are heading out the door. And I think that that is pretty much where we're at. You know, we've got the ballot that we do. And I think that any legal drama will have to be of a different type other than adding a third-party candidate. Are we at, is it Donald Trump, Joe Biden? Is Joe Jorgensen on the ballot? Does anyone else on the ballot? Yeah, Rick, uh, you know, it's not like there are no third-party candidates, but it's unlikely that third-party candidates will play a major role in this election. A good example of why, Rick, is a coalition of environmental groups, about 150 of them, 150 leading environmentalists, sent an open letter to their supporters saying, do not vote for Howie Hawkins, vote for Joe Biden. Do not vote for the Green Party, even though environmentalism is really their signature issue. Vote for Joe Biden. So you're seeing enormous pressure being placed on people to just go with one of the two major party candidates. Yeah, I saw a story today, or not today, the other day, some some science uh, some science group that's never endorsed the candidate and actually endorsed uh, Joe Biden. Um, I'm yeah, gonna... I did see that as well. I think that was in response to President Trump's comments on climate change in California. Yeah, Scientific American hasn't endorsed the candidate in, a, it says, 175-year history. Uh, so... <laughs> And then they, they endorse Joe Biden. Joe Biden, everyone loves this Joe Biden guy. We can see what he's all about. Uh, UW lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski is talking with us. Um, um, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up before we can get into. I don't know if we'll get into Ron Johnson or Foxconn. Those were two other things I wanted to get into. But um, you're on Twitter, obviously. You, your Twitter's pretty enlightening. It's it's got a lot of just like little snippets because that's what Twitter is. It's a bunch of snippets, 170, 145 characters or whatever. Um, and this is obviously your job. You need to stay in the know. You're teaching political science at UW Lacrosse, and uh, you probably want to be up to speed on everything. But uh, you know, everyone else seems to be also trying to be political scientists in their own right, especially on social media in the comment section. But um, for you, is it is is there a release there to get away from politics, or do you do you? Because I feel like it could be unhealthy at some point. You you could be almost overloaded by the amount of news that that's out there and that you could read, and you just you you could never get away. I agree, Rick, and I don't think that this problem is widespread, but I do think that there are a certain group of people, a certain number of people, who just maybe consume too much political news and get too immersed into it. And Rick, I was thinking about this and it's not surprising why people have why people are able to get really immersed and to really obsess over politics and to really spend a lot of time and energy on it. Because just think about how 
the digital age and how social media have impacted just the amount of material available out there and the amount of opportunities to engage with others and the amount of opportunities to express your views. It's just unprecedented in world history, the amount of information that we have available and the types of communication and the types of ways that we have to connect with others. But I do think that it is problematic. And one thing that we have found in political science research, Rick, is that the most engaged people tend to have the most extreme views. So the loudest voices out there tend to be the ones with the most extreme views. The people who are always on social media posting about politics tend to have the most extreme views. Is it- and so I think that's why the views that break through and ultimately get heard tend to be the really extreme ones as opposed to the more middle-of-the-road ones. Do you think the, the people with the most extreme views are the loudest because they have the most extreme views? And therefore, a lot of people want to listen to that because whether they're hate listening or, you know, if I if I come in here before before the show, obviously, and Hannity is on and I'll have him on and I'll just be like, are you you're still talking about Hillary? Really? And I kind of get mad at what whatever Hannity's talking about, because it seems very irrelevant to me. And then I just turn him off because I can't. But that would be, you know, I could see a lot of people listening to Rush Limbaugh and Hannity as as a left left liberal, whatever you want to call him. Um, to, to almost hateless, and, and then on the on the flip side, you know, people that with uh, very right views, very conservative views, would just you know eat all that stuff up. Like like uh, maybe I listen to Rachel Maddow, you know, all the time because I'm 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 hate listening as a conservative or love listening as a as a liberal. Yeah, Rick. I mean, I think the reason that the people with the most extreme views are so engaged is because they view each election as incredibly high stakes. Because if you're an ultra-conservative and Joe Biden wins, then that's a huge deal for you. And if you're an ultra-liberal and Donald Trump wins, that's a huge deal for you. Because if you're the most, if you're on the extreme ends, then there's the most at stake for you in the results of elections in terms of having your preferences being reflected in government. But I also think, Rick, that just with the digital era and social media, there is simply just more opportunities for people with extreme views to express themselves. So I think it's kind of both that people with extreme views are motivated to get involved and that they also have the platform now that they may not have had before, a platform to really get their views out there. Yeah, and I think we're we're at a point, too, where uh, the extreme views are are little pictures called memes and that's all anyone in, uh, you know takes in and and reads look at this meme i can't believe joe biden did this and it's you know and it's just a meme and it doesn't it's probably not even factual to to an extent but it, it's just enough words to grab your attention and you don't have to think too much about it and uh, then you can be outraged it's the, the the meme economy of politics. Yeah, I mean, and there are there are campaign staffers who actually make memes for their candidates, as wild as that sounds. And this has become a whole new type of position and a whole new type of industry, having digital gurus working for campaigns. It's becoming a really essential part of campaigns nowadays. And that just marks an enormous shift from 20, 30 years ago. Well, I would I I always say memes are the, like the downfall of society, and also memes sometimes kind of <laughs> interesting. I love this. I love funny memes. Bernie Sanders, man, his whole his whole Facebook page is full of memes, and I I tried to find a picture of Howie Hawkins, the Green Party candidate, the other day. So I went to his Facebook page, 
and his whole Facebook page is memes. And, you know, like the, they're, they're little snippets of factual information according to Bernie Sanders or according to Howie Hawkins. But, man, you're not really getting uh, – it's just enough to get you mad at one side or the other, I suppose. Rick, if only Bernie Sanders could convert memes to delegates in the nomination race, then he would have been so much better off. He would have five billion more memes than anyone else, I think. Uh, I, I think. Although, you know, if we turned if we turned tweets to delegates or retweets, then Donald Trump beats everyone in the world. Yes, yes. Uh, we're talking with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. So we didn't even get to Ron Johnson. Um, you know, and we didn't get to Foxconn, but can you just real quick, which one we, which one you want to hit for a minute? Yeah, we can talk about Ron Johnson really quick because he's actually come under fire from Mitt Romney for his investigation into Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and, and Hunter's ties to Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company, looking for kind of conflicts of interest. And I think Ron Johnson has very been very transparent about his, his motives here. You know, he's talked about how this will show that Joe Biden is unfit for office, this investigation. But you had Mitt Romney firing back at this, saying, well, this isn't the right use of a congressional investigation to do so for political purposes. So it's always interesting when there's a rift within one of the two parties. And I think we just saw one this week in terms of, you know, do the Republicans view Ron Johnson's investigation into Hunter Biden as appropriate or not? Yeah. And now Ron Johnson isolating because, uh, uh, he he may or, he had a close contact with. Did you see? Did you see the in real quick the last thing? Because Ron Johnson couldn't go what to Mosini to to be at the Trump rally. Was that 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 was the deal? Um, but but Trump was in Mosini yesterday and he forgot where he was. It was kind of a funny video. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, you know he he was in he was in that area that key part of Wisconsin and and Rick he's got to have a big showing from that region because. You know, he's going to get hammered in the large cities and, you know, there are signs of trouble in the suburbs as well. So a very strategically important area that he was in the other day. All right. Chagoski, thanks a lot for joining us again on a Friday. Thanks, Rick. All right. See you. All right. We're going to take a last quick break. Um, we'll wrap up after this. I'm with him. From Oshkosh to Lacrosse. From Green Bay, how are the Packers doing so far? Good team, good people. Donald Trump and Mosini, yes, the other day. So right here. Yesterday. Give me the proper pronunciation. Uh, That's right. Thank you. That's what I said. We inherit the legacy of generations. (laughs) So that's Donald Trump and Mosini. He didn't say it. He didn't. He goes, that's what I said. Well, no, actually, you didn't say Mosini. So I don't blame him. He did, he's in a city doesn't know exactly which city. It was kind of funny. Give me the proper pronunciation. That's what I said. I kind of forgot that you didn't say that. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot again to Dr. Anthony Chagoski for joining us. Everybody have a great weekend.